0: Thank you all for your shares. So, partially after listening to all of these kind of questions, uh, I almost feel like you need a life coach more than a meditation teacher for some of this stuff. Um, Tony Robbins is a great one, if any of you ever want to check that out. Really good at breaking habits and starting good habits and things like this that's not my area of expertise unfortunately so I think I want to start by saying that there are no rules there's no right and wrong there's no good and bad there is simply what do you want And I think that that pretty much can just be slathered on everything everybody just said in a way. If you're practicing often and you want to continue practicing often, then keep practicing often. Find a way to do it. If you're not practicing at all and you're okay with that, then stop and don't practice. Or if you do want to practice, then find a way to start practicing. If you're meditating and emotions and things are coming up and you want to look at them, look at them. If things are coming up and you say, I don't want to look at them right now, don't look at them right now. So we really need to start taking the practice back into ourselves and as our own responsibility. And also in an empowering way that really says like i am an adult here i can do whatever i want there is no right or wrong way to do it and i can tell you as someone who teaches meditation there's no right or wrong to it yeah it just depends on what you want and it has to come from a place of willingness from yourself you have to want to do it and you know if um If I told you that I would give you a million dollars at the end of the year, if you meditate every day for a year, uh, and if you miss a meditation, I will, you know, destroy your house or kill a member of your family or something, you'd meditate every single day without a question, proper motivation, you'd figure it out, you'd find a time to meditate, right? So it's possible. So just looking at it in that extreme case, you could say, okay, then actually it would be possible. Um, I would either wake up earlier every morning and I would wake up and I would do it as the very first thing I did in the morning to make sure that I did it, right? Because I want that money and I don't want anyone to die. Yeah, so you would set it as a priority. And setting priorities is kind of how things get done because there's so much stuff going on in all of our lives. That when things get shaky, which they do because we are in life, yeah, everything's moving and changing and falling apart uh, and growing simultaneously, there isn't a lot of stability in anything, right? There's not a lot of stability in what's going on and sometimes everything's going our way, sometimes nothing's going on our way, sometimes it's a balance of both, Something. Really, bad happens, something really good happens, or sometimes good and bad are happening at the same time in different ways. And it really just comes back to, you know, when we're being hit from all sides, what are our priorities? And, you know, we find time to eat and drink and sleep, you know, because we need to do those things. Kind of those are the, I would say, kind of these basic survival needs. And I would say those take top priority over everything. And then after that comes like the second level priorities, right? And all the second level priorities, which is like everything else that you do, that's not kind of aimed at a very basic need. Like if I don't do this, I die. Like if you stop eating, you die. You stop drinking, you die, right? You stop sleeping, uh, you go crazy and maybe die. Um, But all the second level things that we do you know, we really have to examine, well, what do I actually do with my time and what matters to me? And also seeing if there's a way that you can pool or pour that energy into your meditation practice if you want to. And again, I come back to if I want to, you know, because we've now been sitting here for a few weeks and I hear from some people that after coming to this class, they're getting a little bit inspired and maybe they're practicing a little bit more at home because they're starting to, kind of pick up the momentum and I hear from some people like it's not really changing the momentum. It's fine. You know, and that's just kind of like, that's up to you. It's up to what you want to do. And you know, it's hard for me to give advice in a way because you know, the Buddhist said, he kind of said to the monks, he said, we're like doctors and some people are going to get better even if we don't treat them. And some people are going to get worse, even if we do treat them. But for some people, whether they improve or not will depend on our work. So he kind of said, you know, there's, you know, people that don't need you, that they're going to improve or they're going to get worse, regardless of what you do, what you say, how you act. But then there are those people that you will be able to influence. And so just try with everybody. But just keep that in mind. And from my side, that's really all I can say because I am leaving. This is last week. Next week is the last week I'll be doing this from my side. You know, and I've we've sat here for hours together. I've said all sorts of good things to you and we're all ready to go and we sit and have these deep meditations. And... Um, one very practical thing is that i did build recently a meditation course online if you go to SethMunk.com, i'm making weekly videos talks and meditations that i'm putting on so you guys can still get like classes with me every week right so every week you get a talk and a video and all of the talks and videos are there so you can really just go through all of them and do whatever you want with that you know, and then there are so also are other apps and YouTube videos and all sorts of stuff, right? There's so much meditation material out there that you can do, and there's really no right or wrong kind of way to get into it. Um, you know, the Buddha. Uh, I think it was actually the Buddha's attendant Ananda. And he said, "You know, you can reach enlightenment through pride." You can reach enlightenment through jealousy. You know, through your ego. And then the explanation was, you know, if you um, hear that like the guy next to you reached enlightenment and you're like, what, that jerk reached enlightenment? You know, that fool? You know, and I'm still here? Like that could be motivation that pushes you to do it yourself. Right? Um, So things like competitiveness. Are very legitimate on the path of meditation. We actually need people to push us. Part of being in a sangha is pushing each other. Is that if all the other monks are sitting all night, you're probably going to try to sit all night too. You don't want to be that one guy that like kind of is snoring in the back. You try to go for it. That um, and again, actually, Tony Robbins said, "You, you will, um, you will rise to meet the expectations of your peer group." Something, I forget exactly what he said, something along those lines. And he was talking to a, a general in the army. He had to give a talk for all these, you know, marines or something. Um, but this understanding, and I think that's part of what a sangha is, is that, you know, when you're sitting in a group like this and you hear people practicing more and people are getting insights and getting more relaxed and starting to work, you want it too. We are the product of the people we spend time with, Right like, coming in here and saying, like, oh, my family, right? This is, like, my family. Yeah, this is, like, that's the point. Like, when you when you feel that closeness to these people and then you see that everyone here is practicing and going for it and starting to get structured, we are social creatures. We pick up on impulses and feelings and thoughts and movements socially. And if we know everyone else is doing it, we're going to do it too. Uh, and I think that, you know, even once I'm not here physically, You guys can continue supporting each other that way. You know, you still can meet weekly. And even if somebody goes and you go on vacation and you do whatever, you can still come back right after you're back and start practicing again. If you do kind of get off track, that's okay. But it would be good if you find a way that you keep up your practice by yourself, that you really take it as a priority if you want to. Right? And it just comes back to that thing. It's like if you want to do it because it's like I don't want to, you know, feel like I'm this guy sitting up here almost like like tisk tisk tisk, you know, oh, you haven't been practicing. You're all very bad this week, you know, Santa Claus or something. Right? <clears throat> so that's that's the old paradigm. Right. So I'm not there's no kind of like hierarchy of like authority in this room or I'm judging all of you, right? That's like our religious stuff and our kind of upbringing and our education. Um, That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to love you and support you. And if anybody says, I don't want to meditate, I would say, cool, then do whatever it is that makes you happy. Do whatever you want to do. You know, that's really kind of all there is to that in a really simple way. Um, However, through my own practice, because I've seen... The power of meditation, the, the pure transformative power of meditation, uh, because I have seen how it allows me to function better in my daily life. Right? And this is, again, this important thing that meditation, it's not something that you're, that you're doing all day long, you're doing it kind of in sections but it affects your mind throughout the day and your mind throughout the day affects your meditation, right? It's the same mind all day long. And, um, you know, you're saying like you went on a flight and the things got lost and then the thing was canceled and all this. And then how do you meditate in that moment? I'd say, I don't think you're supposed to meditate in that moment. Like you're trying to, you know, find your luggage. That's not the time to meditate. That's the time to get shit done. You know? Um, But because of your practice of meditation, because you've again and again and again made contact with this place of stillness, of peace, of relaxation, when you notice that things are happening around you, which they will happen forever, right? Things will continue happening for the rest of our lives. That's just a fact, yeah. But we start to gain new responses. When I was traveling to Panama, was last year i uh, was um it was something along the lines of like there was a flight maybe it was coming home from panama even there was a it was, it was a leg of the journey and it was kind of like panama to miami miami to you know philadelphia F- philadelphia to new york it was kind of just one of those things it was the cheapest flight so it was like all these weird stopovers and I landed in Philadelphia with my girlfriend and we walked over to the New York gate and we had time. So we sat down at the bar and we had, you know, like some bloody Marys and just like enjoyed ourselves. It was like this nice kind of hung out. And then, you know, the flight was starting to board and everybody stood up, started getting on the flight, and we were like, eh, you know, like we when are we gonna stand in line with all these people. So kinda of like as all the people were starting to reach the end of the line, we am like, okay now. And we kinda of like went over to like the you know, just a couple of people left trickling in we trickled in with them they got like, oh, hired and took our tickets scanned it and uh-uh, you know, scanned it uh-uh. and they said this is the wrong flight and we're like what do you mean and they said well this New York flight is going to LaGuardia but you're going to JFK and it was another New York flight leaving from the same airport in the same terminal at the same time mm-hmm. And we just saw, you know, NYY like you know, NYC or whatever. So we're just like, oh, New York. Uh, so we're like, well, where are we supposed to be? And it was a gate all the way on the other side of this very long terminal. So we like ran, running through the terminal. You know, trying to like wave down those little carts with the security and saying like, you know, give us a ride. And there, and it was kind of this whole thing. And then one of them eventually did, but they weren't really actually going that fast anyway. And, <laughs> So we got to the terminal, we ran in, and they're like, you know, sorry, we've already given your seats away. You're, you know, five, ten minutes late or whatever it was. And then there's other people kind of starting to mass around us that were in the same predicament through different reasons that, you know, we're stuck in traffic or this or that. The flight wasn't working. And, uh, and I, you know, said to her, like, we're right here. Let us on the flight. And she's like, the seats have already been given away. No, and the way that she said it, I could feel it was a, it was a done deal. And then all the people around me, like these two girls were next to me, one of them starts crying, there's a guy that he starts yelling. All of this kind of, everyone gets like emotional reactive, trying to still get their way with this woman. And I kind of feel like this is not going to work. And I just put my hands in front of her and I just say, where are we supposed to go now? And she just said, you know, you go down to the office and they give you like the, your next flight. You're like now, what is that called? Standby for the next flight. And I said, thank you. And I took my girlfriend and I went. And we went just straight to this, you know, as these other people are still, a massive people are still sitting there arguing, right? So we went, and we, okay, like, yeah, Mr. Flight, we've got our standby thing. Had to sit there for two hours uh, to wait for the next flight. Next flight came, they boarded, and then there's the list of all the people who are on standby. You know, there's like nine or ten people. And we were the first names on the list. And the flight was boarded, and then they said, okay, we have room for two people. And we got on and I turned around and I looked at all of those people that were, had missed the other flight with me still sitting there. And I thought, yeah, that's karma right there. That because people were still fighting, because they were reacting, because they didn't want to accept the situation, because they were just so in their emotional triggered world, their expectation was broken. I missed this flight. How could this be? What am I going to do? My world's falling apart, this whole thing. Whereas because of my practice, 100%, I could just stop in a moment and say, you know what, this is fruitless. What is my actual next step here? I got on that next flight two hours later and all of those people had to wait another two hours to maybe not even get on the next flight, I don't know. I felt like I was getting on like the life raft and they were like on the sinking ship kind of feeling. And I can say for myself that that's really a big part of what this practice brings me is that when especially specifically when everything goes wrong, I handle that better than 99% of people because I can really quickly see, oh, I feel disappointed. There's an expectation that wouldn't met. Oh, life didn't just give me what I wanted. Uh, I feel afraid or worried or helpless or stressed. What can I actually do about that physically? Let me start doing whatever it is that I can do. And I go through that chain really quickly. You know, of course with Mr. Flight too, I was like angry. I was, like, what? How could this be? You know? But really fast brrr, went through all of that kind of cognitive play of, okay, this isn't gonna work. What do I need to do? What's the next step? Do it now. And then I was able to let go of the situation and move on um, probably two to three times quicker than every probably three times quicker than everyone else, because they stayed for like everyone else was still crying for a while as I was still getting my stuff at the ticket counter. So, we have to remember that, that we are meditators within life. Yeah, and all the practice of us sitting here together in this basement and meditating and going through uh, pains and aches and boredoms and restlessnesses and all of these kinds of things and simultaneously connecting to how good it feels just to let go and relax and just be in the spaciousness. Um, that's training a mind of contentment, a training a mind of enoughness. We're training the mind of like a, like a ninja almost, right? That you have, there's kind of this sharpness and this clarity and this ability to kind of deal with whatever happens in the mental and emotional worlds. But when you then start living your life externally, everything that you encounter externally, every situation, it's only just triggering your internal world uh even if we were sitting here and like the you know roof fell on doug's leg and he starts screaming and we're all like horrified and oh my god this thing's happening um what we're actually reacting to is like our sense of care for you like our sense of like love and connection to you and oh my god this thing happened to you and then this fear of like is this going to happen like in more places in this room and then like what can we do But everything we're reacting to, it's our own reactions, right? So even though there is a very real situation outside of us, you're only ever reacting to your own feelings, right? If the ceiling fell, some people might say, oh, my God, the building's collapsing, and they'd run out the door without even coming to check on you, right? Because they're reacting to their own emotional world. Someone else might feel it only, you know, I need to help this person. So they would go there to help you. So it's one situation and you get all these different reactions because we're all just putting our own stories, we're all just reacting to our own world. All day long, everything you do is only a reaction to your own internal world. right? Connected to, projected on, uh, associated with things that are happening around us, tangentially related to actually what's happening. But you're only ever responding and reacting to your own feelings. And this is like a super important thing to know. It's very, very kind of basic, but I'd say very important to know. You're only ever just feeling your feelings. And a lot of situations only exist as problems because of your own feelings about them. Versus just saying, what is the next thing to do? Right. And it's really just an important thing that I think I talked some classes ago about expectation being the other side of the coin from disappointment. That if you expect something to be a certain way, then you're going to get disappointed. And I mentioned the German word for disappointment and "Toyshung," which means removing the illusion. So every time you feel disappointed, it's just because the expectation was taken away, that it's actually not the fault of the rain that our picnic was ruined, it's our fault for thinking it was going to be sunny, that we were projecting what we wanted on the situation, and that's not, that wasn't what the reality had in store for us. And when we realized that, you know, if I go outside right now and my car was broken into, that was not my expectation. I would expect to go back to a car that is not broken into, but if I go back and my car is broken into, right, you get that initial emotional jolt of something just happened, and that, oh, my God. And then it would be, you know, well, what exactly was taken? What can I do about it? Who should I call? And then just really going through those steps and kind of resolving it. And then there will be some, like, emotional stuff to kind of work with and deal with. But that's all part of the practice, you know. And it's important that we even take that stuff apart. Like, so what, what do I feel? Well, I feel, like, violated. I feel sad. Like, why would a person do this to another person? I feel like victimized like poor me why me feeling I feel unsafe like can this happen and I kind of look at all the different aspects of what am I feeling and slowly start working with them like poor me well like I don't know poor that person who had to break into your car they probably have a much worse life than you do right now okay that's true you know um, you know I thought I was safe but I'm not well like you're not any more or less safe than you've ever been Sometimes you're just aware of things that can happen and your life is actually quite safe compared to the rest of the world. So like, don't worry, keep going about your life. Don't let them win. You're fine. You know, uh, the sadness. How could, you know, I just, I feel bad that somebody wants to hurt me or take something or that's unjust. And it's like, yeah, like that was unjust. You're right. You know, so feel that right now. What Great. And injustice was done to you. And, you know, look around Name somebody who an injustice isn't being done to every second. Yeah, we are all doing injustices to each other. For our society to function, we are doing injustices to third world countries. We are doing injustices to people of other races within our country, people of other political views, to our own family members for various reasons. Right. So, And then you start pulling all those things apart and looking at them, and what's actually happening is that you're starting to get wisdom. You're starting to take situations, break them apart. This is like part of what Vipassana can also be, right? Breaking apart your emotions, right? Looking at them, looking at the beliefs, looking at the perceptions, breaking it up, breaking it up, breaking it up, and resolving each one individually. And suddenly you understand so much. Your understanding has just grown exponentially because of that one situation because you chose to face it and say, what can I learn from this? What can I get from this situation? How can I use what is happening to me to further me on my path of self-growth and development and learning? Yeah, and ultimately of peace, because the more that I've realized all of this stuff, you know, then if something happened to me again the next day, I've already solved so many of those elements within me. Maybe, you know, the next day somebody broke into my house, you know, I'd say, well, all that I feel now is that unsafe feeling because actually all those other ones I've identified already, right? So it's kind of like we have to learn to work with situations uh, versus trying to control them, versus reacting to them and wanting them to be different. That's not the way of the Dharma. That's not the way of practice. Practice is not about forcing the world to be the way we want and then getting mad when it's not. Yeah, that is the way of the fool. That is a dharma in Buddhism. That's opposite of dharma. That's not dharma. Dharma is that every situation that comes, you say, how can I use this for my development? Because that's all we can ever do in life. We have this short amount of time here on this planet. Yeah, this short amount of time. And we're going to get a whole bunch of things that are happening to us, most of which are not in our control. Depending if you even believe in like free will and stuff, maybe nothing's in your control completely, right? Yeah, and all you can really do is what am I, how am I responding to this stuff? Yeah, how am I growing? How that by the time I'm at the end of this life, at the end of this cycle, that I've come as far as possible. That's all that matters. Yeah, you are not going to be laying in your deathbed thinking about your luggage, right? Right? promise you know that we have to really look at what is this about what is the bigger picture what is my life about what is this what matters you know and honestly growth this understanding of of growing of, of evolving right that's what matters of gaining wisdom gaining understanding gaining love gaining openness gaining peace Right? transitioning into a state where we are more of a like a um, I won't say like a giant but like a large being <laughs> like more like open not so tight and kind of wrapped in on itself and afraid of everything but more open and expansive right this development that's really all that that accompanies you all the way to the end And again, at the end, that's all that matters because the quality of your mind, there's even something I read once in one of the Buddhist texts, and it said, um, like, to a human, we'll see like a puddle of water. But to a being in hell, they would see it as a pool of blood. And to a heaven being, they see it as a pool of nectar. And it was kind of saying that depending, and in Buddhism they have these different realms of beings, but we can even just take that into the human realm, just how we look at things, is that there can be one situation that happens, and depending on your habits, depending on your ability to perceive what you've been training yourself to see a situation as, you can either see a single situation as hell, or you could see a situation as normal. Or you could see a situation as heavenly. And you could see the same situation, I assume, in all three of those views, depending on where you're at. Like you just said, you listed all these kind of things that are happening. Everything's falling apart. Everything's breaking. You're losing money. Like Everything is just crumbling around you. And then you said, but it's summer and my garden's really nice. I mean, if that's not meditation, I don't know what is, right? It's looking at what's going on, doing your best to be active in those things, attaching as little emotional kind of like grief and stress to everything. Even if, you know, if I go home, my fridge isn't working, I'd go, fuck, that's not what I wanted. What am I going to do about it? You know, that's, I allow myself that. I allow myself that emotional burst and then I do something. You know, to sit there the whole time thinking, oh man, what is this? You know, I know people like that. I'm sure you all know people like that. Yeah, we have people like that around us or in our lives that they just complain incessantly like something happened and they don't shut up about it. Like they're taking the thing that bothers them and they're just holding it in front of their face and that's all that they'll see and that's all that they want to tell everyone is how this thing happened, how upset I am about this thing. Yeah, it's miserable. They're miserable human beings. Right, they're people that we don't want to actually be around. Yeah, I was actually babysitting with my girlfriend today, her two cousins, these little girls, um, and one of them they were like watching a DVD in this new car that we just got, this van for our trip cross country, and the DVD ended, and she starts complaining, the DVD's over, it's boring now, nothing's happening, and I was like, this is a brand new car, like when have you ever had it? Like there's a DVD player, you just watched a movie in the car while we're driving and it stopped and now you're complaining but like every other car ride you've ever been in is like now so you're complaining because you're now back at like the normal state of just being in a car you know but suddenly you're given this new thing and now you expect that to be the norm right i heard like one of the comedians talk about that with like wi-fi in the airplanes right that they made wi-fi in the airplanes and it wasn't working all the passengers start like getting mad at the stewardess is the wi-fi is not working and it's like you're flying through the air at 30,000 feet. It's a miracle of God. And this thing that didn't even exist, you didn't even know existed before you got on this plane, you're already complaining about because you don't have it. Yeah? And it's, and it's crazy, but that's what we do, right? Depending on our relationship to things. You know, that really dictates how we'll be, what state we're in. So it's also something Tony Robbins said, right? He said... To change your state, you change your physiology, but you also change your language and your focus, right? So physiology, it's just really simply like you'll notice that when you feel a certain way, your body gets heavy or like this or that, you know. So if you like shake out, open up, let go of the kind of bodily feelings. But then it's really in each situation, like what am I focusing on right now and what is the language I'm using, which are similar but a little different. Yeah, the language we're using and the thing we're focusing on is how we're a victim of all these circumstances, right? The why me, which a lot of people love to do because it's easy. It's easy to say, why me, why me, why me, yeah? That's one of the easiest ways also to be miserable for your whole life. And I, I know a lot of people that are why me people that love to be the victim of situations. And then because they're victims, never actually see how they could proactively change. I'm sure we all know people like this, Right. Why me? And we even give them suggestions. Well, you could just do that. No, it's, a, they, it's like they don't even want to get better, you know, because it's easy to just feel like you're the victim. Uh, actually having to put in effort and energy, like you have to let go of that story. People want to keep that story. It gives them some kind of, I don't know what it gives them, security or it allows you to keep being lazy, I don't know, whatever, right? But a lot of people, they don't want to have to do something for themselves. It's like a crying baby, you know. They, don't, they go back to that state somehow. So if you change your focus and your language around situations that are happening in your life, you'll notice that whatever happens, it's like, you know, it's when we miss the flight, it's like, okay, so am I focusing on that I'm disappointed like all these other people? Or am I going to focus on what can I do? Right? Just change my focus. Is my language about it like, all oh, this horrible thing just happened to me? Or is my language going to be like, what is my next step? Yeah. Where am I putting my, my mind, my energy, right? And all of that, the ability to do that, really also comes from meditation, from being able to, to work with the minds, being able to watch the mind, being able to be present in the mind, being able to step back from the mind, being able to not take the mind so seriously, right? This is another word for what we're doing in this room. It's called mind training. Yeah, through my talks, I'm training your mind, to look at things differently. I'm giving you new understandings. I'm reprogramming things in your mind through all these talks I've given you. And then we sit and we meditate and then we actually work with the hardware. We're going like right into the experiential like like gritty working with the mind. Yeah, finding my peace, finding my balance, finding my understanding within this kind of crazy chaotic swirl that, you know, we live in all day long. And until you've got a little ground in that, it's going to be hard to establish that in your daily life. Um, in my class I was teaching in Andover, you know, I think like a year and a half ago, and it was the last class, and I asked everyone, like, what did you get from this class? And there was one man who said, yeah, you know, I drive this truck for a living, and uh, sometimes if there's a driver that cuts me off or they're like really like, honking at me or annoying, he's like, Sometimes I'll hit them with my truck. And since I started meditating with you, I don't do that anymore. I just see them and I go, well, that's their problem. You know, and that's the point, right? Is that slowly you soften up, slowly you start to see the amount that I suffer normally is in large part my own control. It's it's in my own control. That if you look at the amount that you suffer in any given day, I would say probably only about like three to five percent of that you actually need to suffer. And that would maybe just be like physical things or like something where it's just there's like, you know, but almost all of what we're going through, especially in America, these like first world countries. Right. Like when I lived in India for a while, like they're living on the streets like they're they have a lot more physical suffering than we do, I would say. Like culturally, or as a society, right? We are like we're living in palaces compared to what they're doing over there. You know, we're we're living in comfortable places. We have food. We have heat and air conditioning and padding on every surface that we touch and laws that protect us and all this crazy stuff and you know Netflix and whatever. Um, But our mental suffering. Is huge I would even say it it, it dwarfs their mental suffering you know I, when I went to India I see like some of the biggest smiles I've ever seen and I, you walk around here and you see people that have a lot and they a lot of them are just miserable you know, a lot of celebrities are overdosing and committing suicide right so even the paradigm of our culture rising to the top getting the fame the power the money a lot of those people are miserable too so it's like okay so our whole society is geared towards this thing to get to the top of this pyramid And the people at the top of the pyramid are jumping off and killing themselves because they're like, it's not even better up there. So it's like, what are we doing? What is this actually about? And it really comes back to everything that we've done in this class. It's learning to master your own mind. Yeah, that you are in control of how you feel regardless of what's going on around you. You are in control of how you feel. You are, yeah. Even if some big guy came down and started punching you in the face, you know, of course, defend yourself, protect yourself, but you are still in control of how you feel. Yeah, you could be the victim of a horrible crime and you are still in control of how you feel. Yeah, that we are in control of how we feel. We are in control. That is our decision how we do it. We work with the mind, we change our understandings. We change our relationships to things. We create more space and softness through this practice of working directly with the mind and creating more openness. Yeah, all of these different conditions. Like I say, right? When you plant a, f- a seed, you have to give it water and earth and sun and all these different things, and then it grows, right? So with the mind, same way. We have to give it new understandings. That's one thing you have to give it. You have to teach it how to focus on different things and more positive things. That's another part of it. You have to learn how to forbear and go through and practically deal with things that are difficult. That's another part. You have to learn how to meditate and just work with just the pure, raw kind of stuff of the mind and learn how to just bring that to a place where it feels more peaceful and soft and open. Right. All of these different conditions, we bring them together and it starts growing the plant of happiness. Yeah, the Buddha called it the eightfold path. Yeah, that if you have, like, all of these different elements involved, if you're living in a way that feels harmonious, if you have the right understanding, if you're living in a peaceful manner, if you're not harming anything or anybody else, right? If you're doing all these different kind of, in all these different areas of your life, if you're treating them the right way, the right understanding, it will have to grow peace. It grows the plant of peace. Yeah. And that's really all that it is. It's just building it in, all these different conditions. Getting your ass up and meditating, one of those conditions. Right? A little bit of discipline going through. Tony Robbins, every morning, he jumps. He does a cold dunk tank. He has a cold, like, I don't even know what the real word is for it, but it's like a cold dunk, you know, on his property. And every morning, he wakes up, and he he said it's like I don't know if it's like 35 degrees or 50 degrees or something, it's freezing. Holds his breath, and he goes under for a minute and a half or something, then he comes out. Every morning, and he said to us, he's like, do you think any morning I've ever woken up and said, I can't wait to jump in that tank? Yeah, he said, never. There is never one day that I look forward to doing that, but I do it every single day to start my day because it's good for me, because it's, it's helpful, you know, and it brings me to the place I want to be. But also going through that resistance every morning, Right, it's like going to the gym for a lot of people. Like every morning, if you can just go through that resistance, yeah, then the rest of your day opens up. When you give into that resistance, right, the alarm goes off and you hit snooze, you hit snooze, you hit snooze. You wake up, man, I don't really want to. When you give into that resistance, the resistance starts to win. Right, the resistance starts to leverage against you. It becomes harder and harder to actually go against your feelings of comfort right to go against those things that want to keep you in your old ways yes you need that little bit of discipline you have to kind of go through it until it starts feeling good and it doesn't take long right when you start meditating every day it doesn't take long until you are like this feels good and then you start wanting to do it right so it's like meditation I've told you like before that it starts with this applied energy you have to start doing it even though you're not getting the results but then it starts feeling good and then it starts sustaining, then it wants to do it. Same with meditation. You'll sit, you relax, you focus on your breath. The breath is the most boring possible thing you could be looking at. Boring as hell, boring as hell, boring as hell. And then slowly it starts to feel softer, slowly everything starts to fade away. Slowly the breath starts to take on kind of this new quality. Slowly it starts to feel good. And suddenly the attention's like, Ooh, this like, I want to stay here forever, this is so peaceful that it shifts from applied, from placing your mind there and again and again and again and leaving it there to a place where it feels so good and peaceful that the mind wants to go there. It just takes off by itself. It becomes sustained. Yeah, and it's the same thing. Is that we have to apply ourselves first and then it becomes sustained. Yeah, and often that's the hardest part. It's, it's moving the boulder from a... From a you know a stopped position to a moving i think even in physics that's what they say the hardest point is to start so for those of you guys that are already like meditating every day like you have it easier to keep going it's actually not that hard for those that don't do it at all that's the hard part is to get yourself to start and that's going to require like set an alarm on your phone for a week and commit for one week every day at this time when this alarm goes off i'm going to do this not even think about it not give myself another choice just Do it. Even just for 10 minutes, just do it. You know, and from that place I can build like that, right? So, yeah, so all of these different things, learning how the mind works, learning how to work with the mind, how to leverage the mind in your favor, how to use it, how it could be turned against you if you don't do it skillfully. But also just remembering that, you know, the life that you want to live is within your grasp. You just have to do it. Yeah, happiness is within your grasp. You just have to do it. Yeah, all of these things, it's just right there. All you do is do it. You are unstoppable as long as you just do it. Yeah? How do I keep meditating every day? Just do it. Yeah, Nike, just do it. There's nothing else. There's no extra thoughts or feelings involved. How do I meditate every day? Meditate every day. Do it. Finished. Easy. Yeah? Don't overcomplicate, just do it if you want it. So we're now gonna do it (laughs) (laughs) together. Um, Yeah, so sit in a way that you feel comfortable and stable, feet flat on the floor if you're in a chair.